Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. We're still in our series on scandalous. And today you're going to want to listen to this one because, you know, in 1 John 3, 9, it says, those who are born of God do not sin. In fact, his seed remains in us and we cannot sin. I cannot sin. That's our title today. I cannot sin. We're going to want to get into this word. Come on, join me. Hey, we're on a sermon series called Scandalous, and it's our series that's going to lead all the way up to Easter. And so we're talking about the scandalous love of God, the the scandalous way that God's ministered to us. And uh, thank you, Stephen. That's so awesome. I had one ready to go, and I forgot to bring it up. So we are children of God. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says, And he made Christ who knew no sin judicially to be sin on our behalf. Like Jesus was absolutely perfect, flawless. I mean, Jesus was the very beloved son, the one and only son of God. And he came... And he came with no sin, perfect as he was, perfect in holiness, but emptied himself of divinity. So he did not operate in his humanity out of the privilege of being God. He operated completely as a man, so that he was completely like you, completely like me, and completely identified with our circumstances. But he was without sin. So he lived a perfect life. His perfect life had a lot to do with his ability to atone for us, because it had to be a perfect, spotless sacrifice. And Jesus lived that perfect life so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him, placed in a right relationship with him, and and all of it by his gracious loving kindness. So Jesus came, completely took sin, destroyed Satan, destroyed death, destroyed every obstacle to us being restored to our rightful place to reign and rule, and he gave us who were spiritually dead, he came that we might have life. And he did that. God did that. So God himself took responsibility for our problem. God and God, God the Father, cut a deal with God the Son. The Spirit was active in the whole process of it. God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were totally active in dealing with the problem that separated us, not from God, but it separated us from the purpose of God in our lives. If you notice, reading the Old Testament, God was very, very involved in people's lives. He was still speaking speaking to even Adam and Eve after the fall. After the fall and everything was broken and they lost their right to reign and rule. You see, God was still speaking to them. God was there and he said, where are you? What's going on? He had communication with even Cain after he killed his brother Abel. God shows up and said, Cain, what's going on? So God was always interacting with creation, but God had to do something because man lost his right to rule. Man lost his right to represent God. God man lost his relationship with God as it was in relationship to the purpose of God for his life. That purpose had to be restored. A man lost it and a man had to get it back. And Jesus, the Son of God, emptied himself of divinity. He was still every bit God, but he didn't operate out of the privilege of being God. He operated completely as a man so that as a man, he could restore us, not just in relationship with God, but restore us to a rightful place to reign and rule in life. 
So it wasn't just, you know, we were separated from God. We had no, you know, God was in a mad pursuit. He was in a hot relationship with mankind. He was pursuing them, preserving them, even in their brokenness, pouring grace upon them, leading them and guiding them. He was working with them to get them to the place where his son would come into expression so that he could then take that beautiful humanity that he loved and through his son restore them to the place of reigning and ruling in life. We spend so much time thinking sin separated us from God. He can't even look at us. That's all rubbish. It's total rubbish. And it puts us in the place where we're dirty, rotten wretches. God don't want to hang out with us. God is nuts about us. We have elevated our failing to a much bigger place than it was worth. It's, it's big because we lost our right to rule. That's why it's big. It's huge because, but isn't it great? I got a thinking sermon. How many thinkers out here today? Any contemplators in the room? Any contemplators? Because here we go, and I got to move. I got to move. Say, move it, Pastor. Move it. We lost our place as rulers. Our rulership was surrendered. Simply put, sin the noun, there's a problem. We broke that place of covenant relationship with God to represent him. But Jesus is the solution. What is sin? Sin is a noun. Sin is a tyrant. Sin is the devil himself. Sin is selfishness. Sin is everything that is born out of that. Choose independence from God. So what you misdiagnose, you mistreat. And a lot of people misdiagnose the problem altogether. And if you misdiagnose things, then how many have had things misdiagnosed and the mistreatment was worse than the problem in the first place? And that's what's happened even in the church. We're, we're not treating the problem properly and the mistreatment is causing more damage on people than ever. And we got some angry God that people are always trying, I'm trying to get close to the angry God. He's not angry. He's very, very happy. I was talking to him earlier, and he says, I haven't, I've never had a bad thought, actually. I've been happy, happy, happy all the time. In the presence of the Lord, there is straight jackets and pain. In the presence of the Lord, there is joy forevermore. Forevermore. If we define sin as, as bad behavior, then we gather weekly for management courses on our bad behavior. And sadly, that's what a lot of us do. You, you've been, you haven't been serving God properly. Here's three lessons to be a, bitter, a better little believer. If it's rule-breaking, then we teach you how to be a better rule-keeper. Let's study the rules more. Let's study the rules a little bit more so we can be good, good, good rule-keepers. So we talked about two trees. We ended the sermon last week with the two trees. Right in the beginning, God put the two trees there, and one, one tree was forbidden. One tree, don't eat of it. You don't need it. It's not something that'll help you. Stay away from it. All you need is life. Let me live out of me as your source. Live out of me as all your blessing. Live out of me as the source of every good thing. But they got deceived and they decided God's holding out on us so we want there's more don't you know there's more there's more God's holding more I want more I want more the devil lied to them that there was more you know what they had everything they needed God had totally utterly blessed them and they thought God is keeping us from this because if we get this we could be like him and they were like him their eyes were opened and they began to see what they shouldn't have seen but what happened was they lost their right to reign and rule and suddenly they began to live out of a place where they thought they were the boss and they began to put things on a scale of what's good and what's bad. And sadly, the church today is preaching an awful lot from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
we're preaching totally on. Let me see how you line up with God. Let me see the standard. The standard is God, and you're, you're here. So how do we get you to here? You know, that's rubbish. When Jesus came, he made you absolutely righteous. He made you the righteousness of God himself. You are here, and you're not here by your ability. You're not here by your strength, because you could never, ever do it on your own. The life that you needed came from God alone. The righteous you needed was his righteousness, and you don't get it by performance. You get it as a gift from Almighty God himself. You just say, thank you. But they kept on eating of that tree, and the church is still eating of that tree, trying to, well, if with God's, if to get God to come to town, you know what we need to do to get God to come to town? We need to be better people. If we were better people, God would visit our city. So let's have a conference, the Better People Conference. And you know, it's the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. If we improve ourselves, God will visit. And we use old covenant prayers. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways. Listen, heaven already heard, sent Jesus. Jesus is a new and living way. Your works will not get God to move. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. The only thing that moves God is faith. And he needs faith to say, it's done. Let's get this stuff done right now. There's nothing stopping God moving in the city except the faithless people who doesn't believe he's as good as he is. So we got to do a few more Holy Ghost push-ups and get God into town. All right, Millard Erickson. Millard Erickson, great theologian. He said, the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was not only an act of disobedience. It was an attempt to gain autonomy to decide for oneself what is right and what is wrong. You don't, you don't have to decide what is right and what is wrong. That's God's. That's in his authority. God does that. You don't judge people. You don't scale things. You, don't, you know, I wish I was a better believer. Well, that's a lie. You can't be better. You're one with Christ. You're an absolute spiritual union with Christ. You can't get better than the righteousness of God. You can't add anything to it, but religion loves to lie to you and disqualify you. A.W. Tozer, he said, the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents humanity's choice to be their own gods, to define morality and determine their own destiny. This act of rebellion led to a broken relationship with God that needs salvation. Now, it's a broken relationship with God, and we take relationship and we apply it with a broad brush, when the breaking of the relationship was a breaking of the right to represent and to reign and rule. It wasn't a relationship of he won't talk to you anymore. See, today the beautiful thing is because of Jesus, you now don't talk to God from you in an outer place. He's put his spirit in you. You got the spirit of God living in you. And guess what? He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. And if you think God is out there and I've got to please him somehow to get him to talk to me, you don't understand the gospel. See, in the gospel, it's not you trying to get to heaven. In the gospel, Jesus did everything to get the full expression of heaven in you. The Godhead dwells in me in bodily form. I am a full-blown partaker of fellowship with God, not because of a single thing that I did, but because of what he did. He finished it. He did it all i am qualified by god himself to stand in his presence and hear from him continually and have his spirit speak to me lead me into all truth all the time every day without any breach or anything being broken that's the truth drink on that one rabbi zacharias ministry's gone through a tough time. He's gone to be with Jesus. I'm sure he's got it all figured out now. But here's something he said which was good. He said, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. 
You see, the problem wasn't that you were bad or good. The problem is you were dead. You were dead. You were dead to your purpose. You were dead spiritually. You could not function in what God had called mankind to do. And you needed to be made alive. A man lost it and a man had to get it back. And God right away, right away in Genesis 3, right away he promised, this is not what I've called you to do, but I'm going to restore it. The seed of a woman will come and he will crush the serpent's head and you will be restored to your rightful place to reign and rule in life. And that's good news. That's good news. Religion teaches moralism and religion is self-help moralism moralism is the belief that the gospel can be reduced into improvement of behavior if we improve our behavior if we can get enough people in here to improve their behavior God's glory will rest on this place and then next week we come and two of you goofed off we were this close we were this close but they were always scaling. Who's not holy enough for God to come? And they were always trying to self-help and, and get ourselves to a place. You know what? There's nothing you could do to get God to come. God did it. And now God has made a way where there was no way. He himself has made a highway of blood that comes right to your heart. And he's completely redeemed you and absolutely set you free. Stop the nonsense of striving and trying to do self-improvement. It's rubbish and it'll only lead to heartbreak. All right. Galatians 2.21. I will not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I mean, if there's a way of, of performance, of self-performance that could be done, then why did Jesus die? If we could get access to heaven by our good behavior, why did Jesus die? Jesus died because you couldn't. The righteous for the unrighteous so that you could become a child of God. It is by faith so that it is always grace. Always. Every interaction you have with God is because of grace. It's not because of, I qualified through some type of self-performance. I've, I've, I've spoken tongues enough, I fasted enough, I memorized enough scripture. Tell me what that path is, because I'll do it. But I, I won't do it, I won't do it because it's rubbish. And I won't do it, and you know what? The flesh loves to hear those things, because the flesh loves to say, look God, I deserve your presence. I just say, lucky beggar that I am, there he is. And you know what, if you'll just accept that, you know what, the behavior problems, they go away. The far from God feelings, they go away. The manifestation of a presence in his life, it comes in the full bold expression because you have embraced the only way that is ordained by God and it's through faith in the grace of God. And Paul said in Galatians, who bewitched you? Who, who actually practiced witchcraft on you that you're trying now to fulfill in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? What was begun in the spirit continues in the spirit and no act of the flesh will in any way help you in this program. Thank you, Pastor. Augustine of Hippo. Say Augustine of Hippo. It's back in, I think, the second or third century, Augustine of Hippo. Listen to what he said. He said, Adam's sin caused a rupture in the cosmic order, allowing Satan to gain a foothold in the world and become the prince of this world. That's what the devil was. The, the scriptures call him the prince of this world. Literally, when he tempted Jesus, he said, if you'll do what I say, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. He said, they were given to me, and I will give them to you. All authority is given. And you see, when Adam fell, an aspect of authority was yielded to the devil in this realm in this world it says a foothold in the world he became the prince of this world this gave him a measure of authority over the world that he did not have before so the fall didn't only cause a man to experience a 
cataclysmic circumstance, just so broken. But you see, the authority that he did have was now, in measure, handed off to another. Ambrose of Milan. Say, Ambrose of Milan. It's a bit of a thinker sermon, eh? A bunch of quotes. I feel like I'm in school. Ambrose of Milan. This is a, a Felix Culpa. Felix Culpa is Latin, and this was a, a Latin phrase, a theological phrase, and La Felix Culpa means happy fault. So, you see, theologians back in the first centuries, they did not see the fall, although it was awful, and the consequences of it were devastating to man, to the world, to creation. I mean, the fall was devastating in every way, and yet they saw that it was a happy fault. A fault, yes, but but it was a happy fault. And here's the happy fault. It was a happy fault that earned us so great and so glorious a redeemer. You see, if they'd never fallen, what would we have? We would have a relationship with God. They would have continued to reign and rule. They would have had and, and given birth and, and had children. We would have gone on and we would have had that relationship with God, right? But you see, this theologian is saying the fall opened us, it opened up a door to something better. Something better can now come into expression because because of the fall. Because you see, before the fall, you were able to sin. Before the fall, you were able to be disobedient to God. Before the fall, they were able to eat of that one prohibited thing. Before the fall, there was always that one thing that we lived with unbroken fellowship with God. We lived reigning and ruling, but there was always that one opportunity that we could fall on our heads. Hope you're following me. But you see, after the fall, what happened was it's not just the opportunity to sin. After the fall, I can't not sin. After the fall, mankind became a slave to sin, dominated by the prince of the power of the air. But when Jesus came, God cut a deal with God. God made a covenant, an absolute way better than a promise. He did something in the cosmos. He did something supernatural and spiritually in the legal realm of all that exists. God cut a deal with God. And in the subscript, he included you. And in the subscript, he said, you now will be holy by faith, not by behavior. There are no prohibitions. There is nothing that can take this from you because the righteousness you get is not by your performance and you can't lose it. There's no prohibited tree that you might invade from ever, forever and ever. You're in a better place because you have a redeemer. You have someone who contends for you. If something did fall apart, you won't go into a cataclysmic failing because you can't fall because you are in Christ Jesus and you will never be taken from from his grip. <laughs> oh, happy fault that earned for us so great, so glorious a redeemer. Now here's the interesting thing about all of this. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So this whole scheme was there. Somewhere in it, there was given an opportunity for the failing of mankind. But in this plan, God always had a plan that I'm going to have a family that I relate to, not based on their goodness and not based on their behavior or their performance. I am going to forever have a family that is my family because God cut a deal with God and you're included. And so our relationship with our Heavenly Father is by faith alone in this one thing. He is as good as he says he is. He is as gracious as he says he is. So the fall is devastating as it was. It opened the door to the eternal purpose of God, which was a redeemed community that would be his by the blood of Jesus Christ, his own son. Hey! 
Hey, settle down. Please settle down. We need some thinkers in the house. So here's the good news. You ready? Here's the good news. God forgives sinners. But I want you to know that he forgave sinners before the cross. It wasn't because of the cross that he forgives sinners. Please understand that. David wrote well before the cross. He said he takes my sin as far as the east is from the west, and he sets me totally free from it. God has always been what? What is God? Define God for me. Biblically, define God for me. God is Hello. What is love? It's the agape love of God. What does love? Love defined in 1 Corinthians 13. Love always forgives. Love always trusts and love keeps no record of wrongs. Here's the good news. You ready? Somebody asked me the other day, what about all those other faiths, all those other things? I said, I think we should always be free to let people worship however they wish. But I'll always tell them this, that my way's the best. Because my way doesn't depend on, I hope I did enough to appease my angry God. My faith is based on a wonderful, loving God who did everything for me, and I come simply through faith in Jesus Christ. So I never, have to, I never have to wonder, did I do enough? Am I good enough? Am I acceptable? Because the qualification didn't come from me. It came from him. He said, I love you. I am for you. I offer you freely this gift of redemption. We simply have to say thank you. Isn't that great? So worship any other thing you want to, but I'm telling you, there's only one God. It's Jesus Christ. There's only one God, my wonderful Father. And I tell you, this plan is way better, way better. So God doesn't just forgive sinners. He conquers sin. See, at the cross, he conquered sin. See, what happened at the cross is once and for all, he conquered sin. The noun, sin, 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 sin. The tyrant, sin, sin, sin. The noun, sin. All the brokenness in our life, once and for all, Jesus destroyed it at the cross. He conquered sin. He delivered us from the power of sin, from Satan and from death. Jesus came that you might have life. That's what he came. You were dead, but he came that you might have life. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, and he wiped out the handwriting requirements. What's that? It's the law. He wiped out the law. He wiped it out. What hinders us? The law. The law constantly tells me I'm no good. What do I need to get rid of? What was nailed to the cross? The law was nailed to the cross. The law was nailed to the cross. That which was against us was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 57. Say, I'm thinking, Pastor, I'm thinking. Hallelujah. It was sin that made death so frightening. And the law code, the law, the law brought guilt and gave sin its leverage. The law was the power of sin. The law was the destructive power of sin itself. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death, are gone. It's the gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. See, the devil had the power of death. The devil had that power to, to rule over you, but it's been broken. He has been destroyed. His grip on you has been destroyed through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came so that you might be a better person. No, he came that you might have life. The life that Adam lost has been restored to you. The life to reign and to rule as a child of God, to dominate in every affair of your life, you have been restored. You're not waiting to get to heaven. Heaven has come to you. You rule over every circumstance in your life. Your circumstances don't rule over you. You dominate every one of your circumstances unless you're letting the devil lie to you. That's the only power he has is to tell you that may all sound good, but it won't work for you. It absolutely works for you because who the sun sets free is free indeed in every way. So he broke the power of the devil. Romans 6, 16, 17, and 18 says, but God, be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from your heart the form of doctrine, the form of teaching, the pattern of teaching that Paul gave. It's not the law because we're not under the law. So what did we obey? We obeyed the gospel of grace. Because you obeyed the gospel of grace to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Are you free from sin? Is anyone here free from sin? Has anyone sinned effectively? But are you free from sin? You are absolutely free from sin. Absolutely. It has no authority over your life. It's been broken. John 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, made alive, healed, and brought into peace. He who believes, say believes. He who believes, not he who performs or he who enters a discipleship program. None of those things are terrible. Unless they teach, obey the law. But he who does not believe is condemned. You're already condemned. You're already doomed to dominate. You're all, there's people in Adam and there's people in Christ. That's it. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And if you're in Christed, you're a child of God. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed, not believed in the only begotten Son of God. John 1, 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, truthfully. Now some people think it's grace and truth. See, see there's grace, but there's also truth. So, Pastor, you're preaching all grace, but you're forgetting the truth. Well, that's a really bad translation of that verse. Grace came truthfully, forensically, absolutely, clearly. Grace came into absolute, forceful, truthful representation. Grace came. And how did it come? Grace came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus is God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is God. What is God like? God is like Jesus. If you have any theology that you've developed, even out of the scriptures, that doesn't look like Jesus, it's not good theology. Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the full, complete, absolute, forensic, truthful manifestation of the Father. But I found a cute little verse back here that says you need to be, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. Yes, 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 yes. We're in a new covenant. The book has two covenants. You're in the new one. Jesus is God. Are you going to partner with Moses or are you going to partner with Jesus to confront sin? 
I'll give you that option today, all right? Multiple choice. Do you want to partner with Moses to be free from sin? Or do you want to partner with Jesus? See, a lot of people do a little bit of both. And a little bit of both is almost as bad as just doing the one. Because you're in the kingdom, but you're a miserable wretch. And you're no fun to be with. You keep on telling me, well, that ain't right. You, you know it all. Thank you. Thank you. You're still eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God bless you. <laughs> Do you want to be a partner with Moses or Jesus? So it's Jesus, all right? Religion attempts to cancel people. We're here to reconcile people. Well, you're not quite good enough to come to our church. You know, you're not quite good enough for the glory realm. You're not quite good enough to see him the way I see him. Religion always cancels people, but we're here to reconcile people and tell him it's easy as one, two, three. Religion looks to disqualify people, but we're here to qualify people. Have you ever been in a training course and you felt like the person who's training you wanted you to fail? Like they're supposed to be helping you understand and grow in your understanding of it, but you really felt like they're just schools <laughs> like this, like this, like this. You know, they just why do those people train? Why do they do that? Aren't you glad that Jesus never disqualifies us? He qualifies us. And you know what? Whoever wants to come, whosoever will come and drink freely of the river of living water. Teach you how to drink. Amen. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. You folks who successfully sinned this week, sin shall not. Some of you are acting in sin right now saying, I think my pastor's a bit crazy. I am not crazy. You need to think a little better. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under the law, but under grace. So what helps you have absolute total dominion over sin? Grace. In Titus it says grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and live an upright godly life in this present age. So grace is it, folks. If you're using some other path or some other agency, you're going to be very, very frustrated. Ah, you're not understanding. Anybody here under the law? Anyone? Anyone here under the law over here? Anyone under the law? Anyone? Anyone under grace? Anyone under grace? Woo! Anyone doesn't know what to do? Anyone says, I'm never lifting my hand no matter what. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. All right. Here it is in a nutshell. How many like nutshells? All right, the message says, here it is in a nutshell. You ready? Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in trouble with sin and death, didn't get us in trouble with God. Got us in trouble with sin and death. Another person did it all right and got us out of it. But more than that, more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, but one man said yes to God and he put many people in the right. Is anybody here right with God? Woo! Why are you right with God? grace jesus thank you wow this is so good amen first john 2 1 to 2 my little children these things i write to you so that you may not sin and if anyone does sin for all you folks who successfully did it today already i know i drove to church today with my son there was a little bit of sinning going on in there 
the speed limit was ignored. I'm just confessing sins one for another. I apologize, Dylan. I'm so sorry. But uh, I was trying to get my fingernails out of the dashboard. But praise Jesus. <laughs> See, other people, they'll eat. I just ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I just called Dylan out. He's evil. Right? That's horrible, isn't it? Hey, that's what the devil does. So Dylan yelled, get thee behind me, Satan. Amen. I was in the back seat. So... <laughs> My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Say advocate. So if you've successfully sinned, you can go, oh, excuse me. Hang on a second. The devil comes says, you're a wretch, you're a dog. Oh, just a minute, just a minute. I've got an advocate. Jesus, you want to talk to this matter? Yes. Back off. My blood, totally holy, totally pure. But they did this. Back off. The blood of Jesus. Father, we made a deal. This one is absolutely pure and absolutely holy. When you do sin, you have an advocate. Hey! When you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, which means he is the mercy seat for our sins, and not of our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Everything necessary for the whole world to be free of sin is already done. Past, present, and future. It's just some people are not leaning into the advocate. They're trying to do it themselves. That's the essence of sin, selfishness. Selfishness. When you act outside of your nature, out of the nature of God, you are behaving not like yourself. You're acting like an unregenerated person. You did not change your nature. You're just behaving out of character. You don't lose your born-again nature because you screw up. You're still a child of God. If you keep screwing up, it does affect you. Sin doesn't affect God. God is not affected by your sin. He's saddened by your sin because sin has built into it its own consequences. You'll go by a speed trap and you'll pay a big ticket. Then you'll call Jesus. You'll say, sorry, that's your problem still love you you're still a child of God okay how was that was that okay all right see but that's when faith comes in and faith has to be activated that's when you say I am a child of God see if you saw me you know next week I drove by a field and there was pastor rolling with the pigs rolling around in the mud going <laughs> pastor what are you doing just come and get me out of there I'm not a pig I didn't lose my salvation but I'm behaving like an idiot I didn't lose my salvation or anything. I'm just being a moron. Come and get me out of there. Help me. And what will I do when I come to my senses? Jesus. Just like that prodigal son who found himself in the pig pen. And he said, I'd get treated better at my father's house. Sadly, people come to the father's house and they don't get treated better. Jesus is our advocate to completely back us up. 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Amen? And you sin, so you're clearly not a child of God. That's your problem. That's what the devil would say. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. The title of the sermon is, I Cannot Sin. Say that with me. I cannot sin. How many tripped over that just a little bit? It's the absolute truth about you. I cannot sin. John wrote this epistle so that you would not sin. And here's something you need to understand about sin. You cannot sin. Let me say it again. You 
cannot sin. Wow, pastor, I'm saying it with you, but there's cognitive dissonance going on here because clearly I've screwed up a few times and I've said it and I'm saying it, but while I'm saying it, my head is saying, liar, liar, pants on fire. Well, let's say it again then. I cannot sin. I cannot sin because he has been born of God. Well, what is going on there? Two basic views of that verse. You ready? The first one, in some translations, they change it. Some translators changed it because they just can't handle it. So they added words to it, and they said, cannot habitually sin, or cannot continue in sin. And that's not what it says. It straight up just says, you're a child of God, and you cannot sin. But you see, they got a head cramp as translators. They said, we can't translate like that. So they said, well, you know what? Habitual sin is bad. Random acts of sin, they're okay. Well, no, they're not. Random acts of sin aren't okay either. Sin is wrong, wrong, wrong. So it's not saying that sin is okay as long as you don't make a habit of it. Well, what's a habit mean? Twice a day, three times a day, once a week? I don't know. Like, see, you know what that is? You know what that is? That is a classic example of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm trying to decide, am I good enough? I'm good enough if I only do it once in a while. I only do it once in a while, God, so I'm okay. No, you're a sinner! It's sin. You didn't wreck your relationship with God. You didn't change your nature of who you are as a child of God, but you are damaging yourself. Because sin is bad. Sin is bad. So here's the next second thing is it's absolutely what it means, what it says and what it means. You are free from sin, absolutely. I mean, did Jesus die and break us from the power of sin? Yes or no? He says he did. He says he destroyed the power of sin. He says he did it completely. Did he or didn't he? He did. So it's absolute. You are free from sin, absolutely. The power of sin, it's gone still. It's never okay. Do not do it because it is destructive. Warren Wiersbe tried to explain it like this. The provision of our salvation originated in in the love of God. And since we have experienced the love of God, we have no desire to live in sin. That's how he explained it. Mm, that's interesting. Bob Wilkin wrote a book called Do Born Again People Sin. Have you, he says, he could have hardly meant Christ, that Christ sins not at all, and those who abide in him sin, but not a lot. Like that's, that's, he's, he's saying that rhetorically. He's saying that as a joke. He can't mean that Christ didn't sin at all, but hey, look at us. We don't do it a lot. We do it a bit. I, it's not what it means. It means you are absolutely free from sin. The fact that he is A.E. Brooke, he said the fact that he has done, has been begotten of God excludes the possibility of his committing sin and the expression of his true character. Interesting. Though actual sins may and do occur so far as he fails from weakness to realize his true character. I like that a bit more. But quite honestly, I cannot sin. It still remains a bit of a mystery to me. You mean you don't know, Pastor? Not completely, but I do believe the Word of God. I am a child of God, and I cannot sin. And you know what? That makes me feel good. All right, Hebrews 10.2. For the worshiper once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. For the worshiper once purified. See, in the Old Covenant, you had to do it over and over and over and over again. But Jesus, once and for all, delivered you from the penalty, the power, and the consciousness of sin. Sin is done. Sin has been taken out of the equation for you as a believer. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Freedom comes from your focus on his finished work and not from your trying not to fail. I'm trying not to fail. How are you doing it? You're trying not to fail. Let's have another trying not to fail lesson. If you want to stop failing, you need to read the Bible more. You need to pray more. And what's this church every two out of four weeks? What's that all about? You need to be here every stinking week, I'm telling you. 
You know, I'm t I could give you a survey about people who don't come every week and they're low-living, low-giving slobs. But those who come all the time, their lives have a sense of quality. You know, you'll be a better person if you just show up every time the doors are open. You know, all those things are good and all those things have truth in them. But you're not free from sin because of performance. You don't get better because of performance. You get better because spending time with each other, we unpack the full revelation. I really am a child of God. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. Amen. Carl Willenda. How many remember the Willenda family? The Willendas. What do the Willendas do? They walk on tightropes. So they're walking on tightropes. And so he's walking on tightropes. Did it all of his life. He, he fell. He actually fell. And they talked to his wife after he fell. And this is what she said. All he thought about for three state months prior to falling was falling. It was the first time he ever thought about falling. All was before he thought about nothing. Nothing before. All he thought about was walking on the tightrope. But this, for the first time in his life he started to entertain falling you know what the enemy wants you to entertain falling he wants to take you off of that wonderful walk of life in Jesus forever with him he's my advocate he keeps me I'm wrapped up in his arms nothing can separate me from his love the enemy wants to take your mind off of that and he wants to put your mind on falling you know folks be careful listen believers these are evil days the devil is loose I'm telling you he's on the howl he's on that beware beware be well many of you will be seduced in these last days many of you are going to be lied to and the devil's going to trick you so boy oh boy if ever there was a time to be in church every time the doors are open it's now because the devil's going to get you then you walk out of church oh my god oh my god We're sowing the seeds of failure into people's lives instead of talking about how wonderful Jesus is. Turn your eyes upon Satan. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. What are you worried about? Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. All right, let's move on. John 8. I'm going to wrap it up right now. Say, wrap it up, Pastor. Wowzers, going really fast. This is John chapter 8, 2 to 11. Early in the morning, he came to the temple. Now listen, listen to me right now. I'm going to wrap it up right now. But don't you wish we could find a place where Jesus and Moses had it out with each other trying to make somebody righteous? Don't you wish we could see Jesus and Moses applying their truth to a specific situation? Don't you wish we could look at Jesus and Moses in the exact same circumstance and find out how they would treat somebody who was broken by sin? Don't you wish there was a place where, where they could have it out and we could figure out once for all, how would Jesus treat a person who was caught in a broken mess? Don't you wish we could find a place like that? It's right here! It's right here! Early in the morning he came to the temple courts again and say all the people, all the people came to us. We were talking a big, big crowd. This was a massive conference. And he sat down and he began to teach. So he's in the middle of teaching. Just like now, we're teaching, I'm teaching, and all of a sudden the doors bust open and the experts of the law, I call them Team Moses. So Jesus is there and Team Moses shows up. So we got Jesus on one side, we got Team Moses on the other side. They brought a woman who had been caught committing adultery, caught in the very act, completely naked because they don't give a rip. They want to cause as much shame as they possibly come. They break in the service, bring her, drag her up to the front and say, look, we caught her in the act. Where is the man? 
If it was really caught, then somebody else had to be present. But sadly, because they hate women, religion hates women, a lot of churches hate women, just the woman is brought there, caught in adultery, and they made her stand in front of them. Say them. That's Jesus and all the people who gathered for the conference. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone the woman to death. But instead of stoning her to death, we thought we'd bring her to the conference and we could all have a throw. <laughs> so, what then do you say? Now they were asking this in an attempt to trap him so that they could bring charges against him. But Jesus bent down and he began to write on the ground with his finger. I have no idea what he wrote. I have no idea. I don't know. He might have looked up and saw Bob and with Bob wrote down Bob, stupid alcoholic, beats his kids. I don't know. He didn't say that. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's me. I, I, Jesus may have never done that and I don't know if it's even his nature to do that. I don't know. He started drawing something in the, in the sand. Jesus bent down and started to write in the sand with his finger. Now when they persisted, Jesus, we're asking you a question here. They persisted, asking him. He stood up straight, and he replied, Whoever among you is guiltless may be the first one to throw a stone at her. Whoever is guiltless, you may stand up, and you may throw a stone. Whoever is guiltless may throw the first stone. Then he bent over again, and he began to write in the ground. Now, when they had heard this, the King James says, Now, being convicted of their, by their own conscience which clearly says they began to reflect on, yeah, I can't throw stones. I'm not that good either. Because you know what? The law can't make you good. No matter how good you are at obeying the law, it can never make you righteous. So they began to realize, uh, it ain't working for me. So they began to drift away one at a time. And look what it says, starting from the older ones. See, the older ones get it quicker because we've been sinning for longer. <laughs> The older ones get it because we're more willing to reflect. We've been around a little while, and uh, how many know I've got a little softer with my old age? Three people. Same three people. The old ones, until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now, the whole crowd is watching. Those, those filthy Team Moses people, they're gone. And it's just Jesus and this broken woman. And he stands there and he looks and Jesus stood straight up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She replied, no one, Lord. No one, curios. The Aramaic, she probably did speak Aramaic. The Aramaic says, no one, Yahweh. No one, God. She stood in front of God. She came from a broken situation with accusers, but when she stood in front of Jesus, naked and bare, she stood up and she said, no one, Yahweh. Wow. Then he says, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. The Passion Translation put it this way, then certainly I don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from the life of sin. Be free from the life of sin. Yes, pastor, but he told her right away, stop being a sinner. No, he said to her, be free. Be free from the life of sin. He spoke positive. He spoke lives of, of words of power and strength over said, be free from the life of sin. Listen, there is a consequence for bad decisions, but there is no condemnation or judgment. I cannot sin. Mm. Felix Culpa, happy fault. 
man fell so that Jesus could be our redeemer. Man fell so that I'm not a self-advocate, I have an advocate. Man fell, it was a horrible thing, but it opened the door to a beautiful possibility that God himself, on his own terms, could bring me to himself. I will never, ever expect condemnation from God. I will always get love, encouragement, and even though sin is a big, big problem, he will come to you in the face of it and he will encourage you, be free from your life of sin. I broke it off of you. I set you free from the power of it. Now come to me and let's walk together in the goodness of God. There's no condemnation from your Savior. Here's the good news. God forgives sinners because he is love. But here's the good news. He sent his son to deliver us from the power of sin, Satan, and the devil, and death forever. He came that we might have life. Life. You've been restored to your right to reign and rule over your life. You're not subject to the enemy. You're not subject even to your own sin. You're not subject to some, you know, well, it's in my family. My dad did it. My granddad did it. You're free from that too. You've been delivered from all of that. You've been absolutely, totally set free. And you need to know that Jesus did it all for you. You have an advocate who walks with you. You've got the Spirit of God in you, leading you and guiding you in all truth. You can do this. You're more than a conqueror in every sphere of life. Amen? He made you alive. He set you back, enthroned with him, seated above every circumstance and everything. You can reign and rule in life. Come on, stand up on your